Hallelujah. Just as we start, we'll pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We pray as your word goes forth that it would go into our heart. The Holy Spirit would take it, place it in our heart, that it would bring forth life within us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word is always sure, always endures, never wavers. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Today I want to speak about a pure heart. And I just want to explain how I got to that a bit, but first I'll just share the first scripture and where it comes from, why where it came from for me to speak it. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I just want to unpack that a bit. What does it mean to see God? And it's like going to your doctor or going to your dentist. If you said to me, oh, I went and saw my doctor, and I said, where'd you go? And he said, oh, well, I stood out on the street and I looked in through the window. I said, well, yeah, sounds like you saw him, but he didn't do you much good health-wise, and I don't think you shared anything with him. Or if you said to me, you went to your dentist, I got to the waiting room, but I didn't go in, I came home again, but I saw my dentist because he, he, I saw him through the doorway. I mean, it wouldn't be... Yeah, you, what you said was true. You saw him, but you didn't really see him. You see, because when you see your dentist, you go in there, and it gets quite intimate. I don't know what happens with your dentist, but he asks me to open my mouth, and he pokes his fingers and his tools inside my mouth. I mean, we're quite close. The only other person who gets so close to me is Pam. Nobody, I don't know if you others do. And the same as the doctor. I go to my doctor, and I see my doctor, and these days, unfortunately, if I go there... There's a bit more intimate. As you get older, it tends to be. It's what it is. And my doctor knows me quite closely, more than any of you do, apart from Pam. See, and then I can say, I saw my doctor. And so if I said to you, listen, I got these things going on in my body, and I went and saw my doctor, you know that I went in there, and we had a, not so much a heart-to-heart, but we had an encounter. And that's what it's like for those who have a pure heart. You won't be on the outside in the waiting room. You won't be on the road looking in and seeing Jesus. It says you will see your God. Just like you see a doctor. Just like you see a dentist. You'll be that close. That's what it means. That's what the see God means. And it's pure in heart. And so I want to... He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones who will see. By implication, those who are impure in heart, and there's plenty of scriptures in the Bible to back me up on this, won't see God. There's a purity God's calling us to. I believe that's the word for this church. I believe that's the word for the church. In this time, God's calling a righteousness, calling a purity. And as was shared by Tom, God's not driving us to that. He calls He called me to himself when I first came to know him. God's a God who calls. He's not a God who drives. He calls. He'll point out things to you quite easily. That's the wrong thing to do. But he calls. He doesn't get there with a stick and drive us away. I got to that scripture because I was reading the Bible and studying it on something else entirely and Peter had asked me to preach and I was looking for what to preach on and I was at 1 Timothy 2.8 
And this is Paul talking to, writing to Timothy, but talking to the uh, people at Ephesus, saying, I desire then that in, every pla- that, that, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Holy hands. What's holy hands? I said to myself. Had I, have you got holy hands? Your fingernails clean, polished, holy hands? Mine are often quite dirty, physically. What are holy hands? How do I get holy hands, I asked myself. How do I know they're holy when I lift them up? You see, holy hands, your hands and your feet, especially in the Old Testament, but this is in the New Testament when he's writing, it signifies what you do and where you've been. I'll just go back, because this is the illustration comes from the tabernacle. It comes from, you come to the tabernacle, and you come to the gate. And the gate is Jesus. There's only one way to the Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There was only one gate, and he walked in. And you come to the brazen altar. And I've shared this before, and that's Jesus our Savior. Jesus being the sacrifice on that altar for us. No longer do I have to bring an animal to be sacrificed on the altar. And that blood shed. It was shed once and all for Christ, by Christ, for me and for you. Jesus, my Savior. I don't have to do anything. He did it all. And then I walk through and we see the tabernacle tent. But before I go in, there's the labor. It's a brazen labor. And there I'm to wash my hands and my feet before I go in to the tabernacle. Up until then, I haven't had to do anything but just be called. I've been called through the gate, Jesus. I've come to Jesus, my Savior. And now I find washing my hands and feet, making Jesus my Lord. He becomes my Lord because what? I'm washing my hands and feet. I'm saying, Lord, those things that I do, I will do for you. In those places I go, I will go for you. And I'll wash them. And I'll wash them daily. And daily they had to wash their hands and their feet. And see, in the Old Testament, it was very much what you did. See, in in the priests, they had to do certain things. It wasn't what they thought in their heart, as long as they did what they were told to do. They did them in the Old Testament. That's what you have to hold the feast. You have to come and hold the feasts of God for the whole of Israel. And they came and held those feasts. And if they didn't come to hold those feasts, things happened to them. But if they came and held those feasts, nothing happened to them, irrespective of whether they were grizzling in their heart and fighting with their neighbor and angry about life. As long as they came and did it, everything was fine. It was very much what you did. But in the New Testament... It's not about what you do. It's about your heart. It's about where your heart is at. I'll just have Ezekiel 36, 26. Because this is what happened. As salvation, God gave me a new heart. And he gave you a new heart. Now that's not a physical heart. But it's a new heart. And he put a new, new spirit within you. And he says, I will, take out the heart of, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, take away the hardness of your heart, he said, and he'll give you a new heart. And you know when he first gives you that heart? It's clean. 
Nothing that comes from God is not sufficient or dirty and impure. It's a clean heart he gives me, a new heart. I get saved. Now I know the day I got saved, I woke up the next morning, the world looked different through my eyes. This is just my walk, but it was different. I said, whoa, and I had a new heart within me. I knew I had a new heart within me. But you see, there's words in the Bible, I won't go there, but you mean we need to guard that heart. Because that heart, things will come to try to climb in with it. It's quite a nice place to be in that clean heart. These other things of the world will come and lodge in there. And then I don't have a clean heart. And yet, God calls us those that have a pure heart. Blessed are they, for they shall see God. And so I just want to go through a little bit more about how we come and the stages or things that we need to experience or do to have a pure heart. But I want to emphasize before I do, God's calling us. He doesn't drive us. It's not by your efforts, but it's by the grace of God and his provision for us as long as I wash my hands, wash my feet, as long as I lift up my holy hands to him. In John 3, 5, if we could just have that up, please. Jesus answered. He was talking, uh, Nicodemus came to him. He said, listen, what are you talking about? And he said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You see, at redemption, there's two things going on here. There's flesh and spirit. And that which is flesh is flesh. And that which is spirit is spirit. And we need to easily and clearly see all our continued walk with God. That there are two dimensions. And there are two realities. There is the reality of my flesh. Ah, but there's the reality of my spirit. And my new heart is given unto me, and I can live in the spirit. But I don't get a new soul. And I don't get a new body. Because we are spirit, soul, and body. But he says he's given me a new heart, and he's given me a new spirit. So what about this old body, and this mind of mine, that has been walking around in the flesh? And God says, let it be transformed. You see, what happens is after I got saved with my new heart, it's whether, I'll go back a little bit, I've come out of the kingdom of darkness. Under the kingdom of darkness, I'm just checking, I'm not jumping ahead here. No, we'll come to that. What happened is that God made me alive in Christ. And he considers me alive in Christ. We were just singing that song, um, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Who says what we are? God says what we are. And am I that? Well, we're just singing we are. He said, what does he say who we are? He says, Jenny Webb, you're my precious daughter. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Ever, he says to her. And it's the truth. And sometimes Jenny, I don't know if she does or doesn't, thinks, has he forsaken me? And she might. 
But the word of God for you is, no, I made a covenant with you and I will keep it because I'm a covenant-keeping God. And not that I have to keep it because I'm a covenant-keeping God, but I want to keep it for you. And I will circle you around for the rest of your days. That's our God. That's what he says to you, Moses. I know you. I called you in. You've given your testimony. He called you down the driveway here. And he says, I'll continue to call you and be around you for the rest of your life. Because you are mine. Nobody else is but mine, he says. And God, further than it says, I'm a jealous God. And God's allowed to be jealous over us. He says, I'm jealous for you. And I'll watch over you. And I will have things happen around you because I want you to continue on to be a man of God in my sight. That's our God. So he has made us alive to him. And all of a sudden, our hearts, our spirit recognizes him and so two things happened I was freed from the dominion of sin until then I had lived in the world I'd lived through my flesh and there in the flesh sin has dominion over us Romans 6 11 likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord he says reckon it because you'll know you'll find it hard to believe it's true. If you're like me, see my flesh, he didn't kill my flesh. He gave me alive unto God. At the cross, Jesus defeated death and sin, but he didn't kill them. They were defeated but not killed. And so we only have to look around in the world. We know that they're alive. We know, however, that Christ has victory over them. And that they only exist because Christ allows it. And the time will come when he will wrap that all up. But the day hasn't come when he's wrapped it all up. When death will be no more. It will be dead. So I've come out of that dominion of that kingdom. And I've come into the kingdom of God. And I have no more. It no more has a hold over me. No more am I blinded by it. No more have to I obey its rules. It's gone. That's why he says, reckon yourself dead to sin. It's got no, no claim on me and alive unto God. I'm free from the judgment of God. See, while I was in sin, while I walked as a sinner, the judgment of God was coming towards me. And there's nothing I could do about it. There's something God could do about it and he couldn't stop his judgment or he could have, but he doesn't because he's righteous. He made a way through Jesus Christ. That I might walk free in Christ. And that the wrath of God would just pass over me. Going back to the Old Testament. There's heaps we learn from the Old Testament to read it. The Israelite nation were in Egypt. They were in bondage. And they were to take the lamb and paint the blood on the door lintels. Why? So that the angel of death when it came through that night passed over them. The same for us. I'm alive. To Christ, with the blood of Christ over me. And the wrath of God coming towards us passes over us. And passes over me and you, if you have given your heart to the Lord. That's, what, that's our state, that's what's happened. And God says, reckon yourself dead unto sin. Just finish off that scripture there. No, there's now no condemnation. You see, it's, it's past, but it does say... 
And I'll just read it fully through. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So there's a walk I have, my feet and my hands. If I walk according, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Why? Because Christ Jesus, the law of Christ, of life in the law of the spirit, of the life in Christ Jesus, has made me free from that law of sin and death. But there's still a requirement of me to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. We learn again from the Israelite nation. They had the Passover and they came out of Egypt. The Israelite army, the Egyptian army chasing them. And they went through the Red Sea. And they're now out in the wilderness area. So they've, they've come out of, they've come through salvation. They've come out of the dominion of Egypt. They've been baptized, as it were. God was giving them manna every day. Their shoes were not wearing out. Those fancy shoes that some of you have on. They're never going to wear out. You never have to ask somebody to buy you another pair. They stayed all the time the same. And you know what they did? They grizzled and wanted to go back to Egypt. And can that be our story? Do we ever find ourselves in that situation? Where we say, whoa, I'm sick of this. Sick of church. Sick of those church people. Sick of God not making my life nice for me. I want to go back. And do some of those things I used to do. Unfortunately, we see it happen. We go back and we let the flesh rule rather than the spirit rule. Because the spirit is life. The flesh is death. I'm dead to it, I say. Yes, the Egyptians were dead to Egypt. They'd been rescued by God and they'd been put out in the wilderness. And they were dead to that. And yet they wanted to go back, some of them. And when they did that, we find the judgment of God came and we found death coming into the camp because their hearts were in the wrong way. So that's why Paul speaks to us in Colossians 3, which I preached about four weeks ago. Put on and put off. Put off the old man to put on the new man. Now you say, but I've been saved. What do I have to put off? I'm already righteous before God. And I am. He gave me a new heart and I stand there and he looks at me and he says, well, you're clean, Dan. And I have to say, not by me, but by the blood of Jesus over me. I'm righteous. So what do I have to put off? What I have to put off is when I go back into the flesh realm and I think bad thoughts about some of you. Or I slander and I gave an example when I was at Connect Group. I'm working on a building site. I've got to employ a builder on the building site. And in my eyes, I found him a bit slow and a bit prone to errors. So what did I start doing? I had a site manager. I started speaking to the site manager about him. And I said things about him that if he was standing here today, I'd be embarrassed that I said. I said he was a bit useless. I said he was not good, but not in a nice way. It came out in a bad way. And he talked, he knew it too. He saw the reality of that man's work and said the same to me. 
Blind man could have done it better. And you know what? The Holy Spirit pricked me about that. He says, why are you speaking like that? Why are you speaking about that man like that? Is that a way a man of God speaks about somebody whom I love? I know he doesn't know me. And I know he's not a Christian. I know he doesn't know me. I know he is walking blindly. But I love him. And he's made in my image. Why are you speaking to him in that language? It doesn't glorify me, says God. And that's what I have to put off. Put off the old man. And put on the new man. So we press on to a, we're in a race, Paul talks about, and we're pressing forward to that reward. And what is that reward? A big bunch of money in the bank? No. Getting to heaven? No. I'm saved. When Christ returns, I'm going to heaven. What's the reward? The reward is that we become more Christ-like. That our nature becomes more like him. So blessed are the pure in heart that when I am in his presence, oh, there's clarity between us. There's not the old man Dan Ogle trying to speak to God. Because the old man Dan Ogle, burn up before him. Wouldn't get too far speaking to God. But the new man, covered by the blood of Jesus, is able to relate to God. And able to have intimacy with God. So I must put off the old man and have my heart pure. And then I can see God. Then I can come into his presence and fellowship with him. You know, you might say to me, "Ah, it's impossible. You're asking the impossible of me. You're asking me to live a righteous and pure life. Jesus did that, but you point out anybody else who did. I say, that's true. But look at the command of Jesus that Peter reminds us of. 1 Peter 1, 15, 16. He, and as he who called you is holy, and that's Jesus, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because God himself has said, that's what it is written means. God himself has said, be holy, for I am holy. See, the command of God for us is to press on into holiness. To press on into that which is Christ. So when I say I am in Christ, it means I am moving more and more into Christ. And you start to see him in me. Be ye holy, for I am holy. But I'm only human. How can I be holy? Well, you can't be, apart from the blood of Christ over you. And apart from having a humble heart and a repentant heart. So what do I have to do? Do I have to be a rich man to become holy? No. Do I have to follow all the the times to come to church on time and be exactly on time to be holy? If I come here at half past nine and you come here at ten o'clock, am I more holy than you? No. If you come here at ten thirty and I'm at ten, am I more holy than you? You latecomers? No. No more holy. No more in right relationship with God. You see, there's a story in the Bible 
about a wedding feast. And it says, a man went out and made a wedding feast. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you it. And he said, he made the wedding feast and he invited all the noblemen and all the people who had wealth. And they were too busy. Most of them were too busy. He said, no, no, I can't come. He's putting on a wedding. He got a little bit angry about that. But he said, no, no, no. Invite, go out and invite those others. Go and invite some more. And so he invited those and some of those came. But then the, his servants came back and said, listen, there's still a lot more room. He said, Look, go out to the highways and byways and find those that are sleeping under the bridges and in the hedges. And those derelicts back there who must have been drinking some beer the other night, bring them in. And they came in to the wedding feast. And the master said, I'll go down to the wedding feast and have a look. And he came and he said, a man, he said, where's your, where's your wedding garment? And the guy was nonplussed. He said, well, well, I don't have one. And he said, bind him and take him out. And they bound him and took him out. See, this is about holiness, purity. Those that were under the hedges, how did they get a wedding garment? That's what I want to know. How did they get one? They hadn't even been to church. They'd been in the highways and byways and sleeping under bridges. But they had a wedding garment. How did they get it? Because Christ, the wedding, he provided it at the door. You see, they, he didn't have, that man had to do anything. All he's got to do is want to come to the wedding. Isn't that like us with Christ? You see, I was like that. Sure, I wasn't sleeping under a bridge. But I was far away from him, following my own lusts in the flesh. And he provided me with a wedding garment and said, come in. And I didn't have to do anything apart from saying, I believe and I repent. And he gave me a wedding garment. And that can be the same for all of you. But what about this guy without the wedding garment? How did he get there? You see, because we have to come to Christ in two ways. We have to come to with repentance and humility. And those who were under the byways and highways, when they came to that wedding gate door, they got the wedding because they came in there, they left self behind. The reality is self had been beaten out of them under the hedges beaten out of them when they were sitting down under the bridges and drinking their wine and they had no pride so they, they were easy to let that down and they came in with humility and they had a wedding garment but the man without the wedding garment he was over there and he got the invitation and he thought I'll go because after all he even said I've been preaching in his name and I've been doing good works so I'll go and he walked into the wedding feast but his pride and his lack of repentance prevented him finding his garment. And he had no garment. So blessed are the pure in heart is not something that you can work towards. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't buy it. You can't earn it. But we obtain it by the washing of our hands and the washing of our feet. And so what does that really symbolize? The three processes. But just before we go there, I want to read us 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Because it's not enough to just say, yeah, yeah, but I hear what he's saying, but I'm saved. I'm saved and God promises salvation, therefore I don't need to go any further. He's 1 John here and he's writing to Christians. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. 
and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I find myself pure. By doing what? Confessing my sins to him. Putting off the old man. I confess my sins and he makes me righteous. I'm in. I'm standing before him. What have I done? Nothing. All I've done is said, Lord, I and genuinely, Lord, I am so sorry, and that was so stinking, my thoughts of that man. That's the man I had on sight. And I had to go through that. We talked about it at a connect group. But in my heart, before that connect group, and even after that connect group, I had to say, Lord, I am so sorry that I spoke about that man that way. That it came out of my mouth I'm sorry about, but I was even sorry that it was in my heart to think like that. That's not to say as the boss of the site... I need to make sure that he did his work right and that he did his work well. But there was no need for my attitude that I expressed to the other person that a blind man could do it better and he was useless. It was wrong speaking. That's not how Jesus speaks. That's not how Jesus thinks. And so it was repentance and confession. And if we do that, he says, God wipes that slate clean, forgives me. And that's past. And I'm righteous and pure in that instance before him walking forward. And therefore I can fellowship deeply with him as you see a doctor. I can walk into his presence. There's a three-step process. And I just want to go through those to have a three-step process to have a pure heart. And it's not by effort. If we could just have the slides up, please. The first is you must reckon yourself dead to sin. I've been freed. And now this life in Christ, I have available to me the ability to come to Christ and say, Lord, I repent. And I'm freed. I can't do that while I'm in the dominion of sin. I have to come out and be saved for the first time. Then I can walk alive to Christ for all these little things in my life. And there might be little things and big things. But I can walk and deal with them. Reckon yourself dead to sin. If you have Christ, sin has no control over you. You are dead to its influences. And you're looking at me saying, well, that's not true because you want to see what happens in my heart sometimes. Sure, he tries to influence us. Sure, those thoughts come to me and I have a choice to make. But he does not have dominion over me. For you to say to me, ah, oh, yeah, but I, but I had to do it because I'm a human. I just had to eat all that food day after day and be a glutton. No, you didn't. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Oh, we had to talk about a person that way because I was with a group of people and we started talking that way. No, you didn't. You have self-control. Oh, they made me so angry. Yes. Is that, was that angry, a righteous angry of God or was it angry because you're just angry about them because they didn't get what you want? Am I going to exercise self-control and move away from there, the fruit of the Spirit, and say, Lord, I want to walk alive unto you. So the first thing is we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin. It has no pull on me. It has no right over me. It can tempt me. It can raise its head up and come out at the most inappropriate time. And I need to put it aside and say, no, I put off and I will put on the nature of Christ. 
And it might have to be quite deliberately done by me. The second one is, and the eye, put our eyes on Christ. Always it comes to Christ. It's not too hard to do the first one, reckon ourselves dead to sin. It's not too hard to do the next one. Turn our face unto Jesus. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't say go anywhere else. Go and see your preacher. Go and see your pastor. No, he can't do much for you. I mean that very nicely. He's a man who follows his heart after God and he is, is well versed in the word. But the only thing that he can do for you is when God ministers through him to you. And you know what? You can put your eyes on God without putting your eyes on the pastor. You put your eyes on man and they'll fail you. They will fail you. And the number of people I've heard, he says, oh yeah, but the pastor's like this. And they're looking at the old man side of him. And sure, it's pretty ugly. The old man side of me is ugly and the old man side of you is ugly. It's easy to say, oh, they're this, they're that. It's the old man side of them. still shines its light. Why? Because I've still got the old body and I've still got the old soul. But I've got a new spirit. You start seeing my spirit. And if you can truly see my spirit, you say, wow, the wonder of God. The wonder of God. So we put our eyes on Jesus, not on man. And the third one, repent. Repent for those things. Here's a progression. It's a progression. It's what God holds up to us at that time. There's lots of things that are going to have to be still dealt to in my life. But you see, it's holiness the required holiness for God doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means that I'm repentant for that which he shows me. And he showed me how I spoke. The Holy Spirit spoke to me about that man. And I had the decision to make in my heart. I could say, and I could argue with God. He is useless. He did it wrong. cut beams that had to fit a certain distance and he cut them off short he held our job up we had to go and buy some more and all short how do you cut it short like that it wasn't this much short it was this much short how do you do that wasted about three days where we had to get some more set up some points out in the wrong places how did you do that didn't they what did they teach you when you got your apprenticeship easy to be nasty when you haven't made the mistake. But you see, God, God is calling us to be perfect. And when Jesus returns, he's going to make us perfect. But his commandment, be ye holy, even as I am holy, it's those things that he gives you to deal with. Are you dealing with them? Am I dealing with that which I've just shared? And have I put it to rest with repentance and asked for forgiveness from God? And sometimes you even have to go back to the person themselves. Pam and I have been married 37 years. We went away about two weeks ago. And we were sitting out there and Pam always asked these hard questions. So we're there sitting there having dinner and she says, well, what's the best thing that's happened to you over our 37 and what's your worst time? Well, I stumbled around a bit. I could easily say the best time, but... Of course, with Pam, there's very bad, few bad times. But anyway, I asked her the question, well, what's the bad time? What's the good time? And she told me, and I said, and what's the worst time? 
He said, the worst time was two and a half years ago when you behaved so badly at the leadership meeting. And some of you will remember it. But Pam was horrified at what she saw come out of me. She said, I thought you dealt with that. And it came out. And I was preaching, it was on a Thursday, and I think I was preaching on the Saturday. So some of you will know this story and others of you won't. But God said to me, that was wrong, it was your old man. See, it's not about whether you're right in what you're saying, it's how you say it and what causes it to be said. He says, you're wrong. it's, it's, It's dirty. So I had to go to each person in that meeting and ask them for forgiveness. Would you forgive me for that? Why? Because sometimes you can repent to God. But he said to me, no, no, you have to do more than that. You actually have to go to the people this time and see each one of them and say you're sorry. Say, will you forgive me? And then you'll be free. And then, and I preached, and I preached, I think, shared what was on my heart from the God, and I believe it went out truthfully. But if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't asked for their forgiveness, first Peter might have asked me not to preach before I got up there. I don't know what he would have said, but he would have, should have been on his heart to think, shall I let that guy get on stage from what I saw on that Thursday night? But even if he did, my cloudy heart would have prevented the flow of the Holy Spirit and the word to go forth from me. So, we repent. And there were three steps, but there's one further step that we don't really do. But we have to enable him to do it. See, what happens then? God comes in and cleans our heart. All I've got to do is open my heart. And I've done that through repentance, really. And God does all the rest of the work. He applies the blood around, covers me with the blood of Jesus, and I'm white and pure before God. And my heart is at peace and at rest. Colossians 3, therefore, as the elect of God, and you are, if you've given your heart to the Lord, and I'm looking around, if you're, the elect, if you're here and you've given your heart to the Lord, you are the elect of the Lord. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Oh, that's the joy and the peace that comes from God being in right relationship with him. No longer does anger and mistrust and hurts and offenses rule my life. But instead, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. You can soon see how well people are going. You see, Jesus, when he went to the cross, they jammed thorns on his head. They spat on him. They called him names. Did he take any offense? No. We know he, I know he didn't take any offense because the Bible said he was sinless. No sin in him. He had no offense. If I called a few of you up here and kicked you and put a thorns on you and spat at you and called you a few vile names, would you take offense? I was going to do it, but I won't do it. <laughs> and you'd say, I'm justified in doing that. Oh, you are justified in the flesh, but not in the spirit. Christ was in the spirit. Because he knew who he was in God. It doesn't matter what you do to me, what you say to me, how you spit on me, what names you call me. I know who I am in God, he said. And he walked to the cross. So, beloved, put on tender mercies, 
Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. I read that and I was sharing again. I said, I'm sure I haven't given offense to anybody over the last 15 years because nobody's come and told me. <laughs> Nobody, in the last 15 years in church, I cannot remember one person coming to me and saying, Dan, I'd like to share this with you because you've offended me. But that's the biblical way to do it. Not nobody has. So I say, oh, I'm fine. Can't have offended anybody. <laughs> now, I know that's not true. I've offended a few people. But you know what God says about offenses? He says, go and see your brother yeah. and share the offense with him and win him to you. Yeah. And he says also, if you've offended somebody, now it replies to me, if I have, I need to go and see him and then put it right. And I shared... What I did do, only once, as many times I probably haven't done that. But that time after that meeting, I went and saw and spoke to each one. And I put it right. And then I could say to God, Lord, forgive me. He said, sure. And then I can walk on past it. Yeah. Go back to the first verse and we'll just stick it up again. Matthew 5.8. Blessed. Blessed. Highly favoured. Oh, God is for them. God will pour out and he will cause things to happen around you that you'll wonder, wow, why am I so special? Blessed by God. If you have a pure heart, that's how you'll find the world. And you'll see God. Not from the outside, not from the waiting room. You'll see him in the surgery, right there. Talking to him. As you get older, he'll get quite intimate with you. Amen.